Hey, good morning. Okay, how many Ravens fans? Got the Ravens fans? Yeah, the few, the proud, the mighty. How many San Francisco fans? Yeah, it's been consistent every service. How many Dallas fans? Yeah, too bad. Uh, only thing worse than being a Dallas fan is being a Charger fan, which is me. It's like, I don't know where the sovereignty of God is going in all of this thing, but another year of disappointment, heartache, and pain. Uh, but anyway, hey, great to uh, see you. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church at Rocky Peak. And uh, if it's your very first time here, we're really glad you're here. We hope you have a great time with us and just to experience God's presence uh, in your life as you worship here with us. Uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now, and inside your program is a message note sheet, and so I encourage you to take that out, and uh, if you guys are all set, then I'm ready to go. You guys ready? All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in our church, and most of all, what you've done through Jesus, who he is, and what he does. Uh, we thank you that he rules today, that he is King Jesus, and we look forward to the, to the time when your kingdom will come in power, uh, but we're excited today to be able to enter into that kingdom here and now and begin to experience kingdom reality, kingdom power in our life, the, the power of the age to come here and now. And so as we talk today about the coming of your kingdom, we talk about what does it mean to be part of your kingdom. We pray that you'd come be our teacher and our leader, and we would come under you as our rabbi, Jesus, and that you would teach us. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for about four weeks. Uh, for those of you who are brand new, it's called Jesus the King. It's a study of the life and teaching of Jesus as told through the eyes of one of the early leaders in the early movement of Jesus, uh, a man by the name of Mark. Mark was a close friend of the apostle Peter, associate, and uh, so he based his gospel, his story of Jesus, on the firsthand experiences of the apostle Peter. He's writing this document about 30 to 35 years after the life and death of Jesus, the resurrection. Uh, he's writing about 30, uh, maybe uh, uh, 60, 65 uh, AD. And uh, he's writing for Christ followers in Rome uh, who are, want to know more about what it looks like to follow Jesus or for other people that are just interested. Let me hear the story of Jesus. I may be interested. I want to follow. And so that's what he's doing. Now, if you've been here the last four weeks, We've been uh, in the intro, the first 13 verses, where Mark uh, kind of tells three key events, goes kind of behind the scenes to tell us about three key events that happened in the life of Jesus or in the nation of Israel before Jesus goes public with his ministry. And so uh, two, three weeks ago, we talked about the first one, the coming of this great messenger that was prophesied in the Old Testament that would come before the Messiah came, a man named John the Baptist. Two weeks ago, we saw as Jesus came, to be baptized by John in the Jordan, and, and the Holy Spirit is anointed. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit to equip him for this mission that his Father is giving him to bring the kingdom of God. And then last week, we saw as Jesus, right after his baptism, like, like Elijah and Moses before him, went into the wilderness, the desert, for 40 days as a time of personal retreat, connect with God, get ready for his mission, but also a time of intense spiritual warfare. Well, today we're jumping ahead about uh, three or four, five, six months, some, somewhere in there, several months, we're jumping ahead, uh, and, and now Jesus has returned to the north of the country, an area called the Galilee. And uh, the Galilee was a, a very, uh, it's a beautiful uh, area in ancient times. Uh, Jesus had grown up there. He'd grown up in a small little town called Nazareth. Uh, now he's going to move to a major city. Uh, that's on the uh, trade routes there right by the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. We'll see him there next week. But, uh, but uh, the Sea of Galilee was a very important uh, sea body of water. It was, uh, it's, it's not really a sea, it's more like a lake. It's about 13 to 14 miles long, about eight or nine miles wide at its widest point. Um, but a lot of the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is going to center on the Sea of Galilee, that around the sea or on the sea, a lot's going to happen. Uh, when I go to Israel, my favorite place to go is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's beautiful. It was uh, very famous at the time for its fishing. Uh, it had a very active commercial fishing industry. In fact, the fish that was harvested there was uh, not only sold locally, it was, it was uh, sold to wholesalers 
who would take it hundreds of miles away to sell it in distant lands, distant because fish was a staple in the ancient world. Today, we're going to meet four commercial fishermen. Think uh, Discovery Channel, right? <laughs> Think uh, Big Tuna. Um, and so we're going we're to meet some, uh, some, some, some fishermen. Um, but I love the Sea of Galilee. It's just so when, I, when I'm in Israel, it's my favorite place to go because it's one of the few places you go in Israel where really cool things happen where they didn't build a really gaudy church on top of it. And so, uh, so for example, when you go to uh, the Sea of Galilee, I remember one time when I went, I was in this location where they believe it was the location where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. It's this beautiful uh, kind, of like a, kind of hill, mountain, slopes down, green, uh, green uh, slopes down to the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and, and Mussolini built a church on top of this. See what I'm talking about? So, um, so most of the group was going there. I, I just really wanted to spend some alone time. Didn't really want to go see the Mussolini church. And uh, so I, uh, I went up to, um, to this one. That, you know, there was kind of a bazaar there, a store there. They, they sell all this stuff. So you can get stuff really purchased in Israel and bring it home. It's all made in China. Uh, anyway, um, so... You, I went up and I said, hey, would it be okay if I went behind that gate over there uh, by myself down that dirt road, down into that grove of citrus trees? And uh, they said, uh, I don't know, ask the guy. Uh, which guy? The guy with the, gar- with the, with the rifle. So, uh, <laughs> so I went and like, hey, would it be okay with you if I just kind of went behind this gate and just went, well, how many are you? It's just me. He's like, okay, that's all right. And so um, I got to just wander down there by myself and just sit there on that hillside uh, I could just picture Jesus there teaching to thousands uh, in an amphitheater-like effect going down to the Sea of Galilee. It's an incredible place. Um, and so a lot's going to happen uh, at the Sea of Galilee. And so today, we're going to see Jesus uh, after his time in the wilderness. Uh, we're going to jump ahead three or four months in time. Uh, he's going to be now back in the north in the Galilee. And today, he's going to launch his ministry, his public ministry. He's going to share his core message uh, about the kingdom of God, and he is going to recruit his first followers. And so today we're going to learn about the message and the movement of Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 1 uh, and go to verse uh, 14. We're going to pick it up there. Usually it's six short verses, but they are going to pack a punch. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. So after John was put in prison. Now, so which John is that? John the Baptist. A very interesting story. We'll talk about it more a little later on, but he was arrested. Uh, Jesus went into Galilee in the north. He's proclaiming the good news of God. Now, we need to stop here for just a minute and talk about this phrase, good news of God. It's a very important phrase, very important word, the good news we actually talked about this word the very first week of this series. Uh, you remember back the very beginning, the first week, we looked at the first verse, and it starts off the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Remember that? And, and we talked about this word gospel, um, and the word gospel and the word good news here are the same word. <laughs> It's this very important word in Greek. We're not going to spend a lot of time because we did that day, but I want to go back and and just circle a little quickly because it's very important. The word gospel in Greek, the word good news, uh, either way, uh, is the word euangelion. Remember we talked about this. The word eu, E-U, means good. The word angelion means message. So you put it together, a euangelion is a good message. It's good news. But in the ancient world, uh, it was not a religious term. We think of the word gospel day as religious, but it wasn't a religious term. It was more of a secular term. Anything that was good news could be a euangelion. But in the Roman Empire, especially when Mark is writing from Rome, the center of the empire, the word euangelion often had associations with the empire, with the emperor, with, with Caesar. And so when a new Caesar would be born, a new Caesar would rise, uh, ascend to the throne, uh, a major military, a war was won on a distant front, uh, a message of good news of euangelion would be sent throughout the empire by messengers. And so euangelion has connotations, associations with kingdom, with, with empire. For Jews, uh, it was also an important word because in the Old Testament, as we've talked about many times in this series, 
there were all these promises that one day the great king would come from the, from, uh, the line of David and that he would usher in the golden age of human history, the new heavens and new earth. He would destroy Israel's enemies. The Messiah would come. And, and in the book of Isaiah, in many of the Isaiah's prophecies, he will use this term euangelion. It's, uh, it's in the Greek version of the Old Testament uh, the translation. He'll use this word euangelion to describe the good news that the kingdom of God is coming, that God is coming. And so for both Jews and Romans, it was a very important word that had powerful associations. And so today, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come. He's going to announce a, the euangelion of God, the good news of God. And guess what? It's about the coming of a kingdom. It's a message of the kingdom. And so here we go. So in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the euangelion, the good news of God. And here's the message. So Jesus is the messenger. Here's the message. The time has come. Uh, in the Greek, it literally says the time has been fulfilled. In other words, the time of prophecy, and pro- it's, it's coming to fulfillment. Uh, and he says the kingdom of God, this long-promised kingdom where Messiah would come, wrongs turned to right, new heavens and new earth. He says the, the, uh, the kingdom of God, it's near. And so you need to do two things. You need to, first of all, what? Repent. Repent. Secondly, you need to believe. Believe the good news. And so two things you need to do to enter into this kingdom. We'll talk about it later. You need to repent, kind of come under God's leadership. We'll flesh that out more later. And you need to believe. Jesus is the messenger. God's coming. Kingdom's coming. You need to trust me. You need to follow me. You need to listen up. All right? So repent and believe this euangelion. Okay, so now Jesus is going to begin to recruit his first followers. And this is very important because what we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark is that one of the reasons Mark is writing this letter is to help us understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. All right, this is one of his primary goals. And so these men that he's about to introduce to us are going to become models for us. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And today they're going to start on a very high note. From here on out, it's only going to go downhill. It's going to be very encouraging to us. Because these guys are just ordinary guys. These are commercial fishermen. I want you to picture what comes to your mind when I say commercial fishermen. That's the guys. Okay? Don't have suits. Don't have ties. Have not gone to seminary right? Uh, In the movement of Jesus, if you're a kind of a a theologian or uh, if you are a a Bible teacher, if you're a pastor, uh, you may have a shot of getting in. If you're a common person, the door's wide open, okay? And so Jesus is not looking for people that are religious people. He's looking for people that have a heart for God. And so today, he's going to come and he's going to Uh, we're going to be introduced to four men. They actually all know each other. They've grown up in the same area. Three of the men share a fishing business together, a commercial for their partners in business. They're two sets of brothers. As brothers, they've obviously grown up together. They've shared rooms together. they, 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 They know each other inside out. It's interesting, when a person comes to Jesus, you do understand this, that he doesn't start working in your life then that he's been working in your life all along to prepare you for when you would come to Jesus. Your gifts, your abilities, your life experiences, none of it's wasted. And so when Jesus comes to call his first followers, it's interesting to me that his first followers are brothers. Three of them are in business together. He's been working in their life long in advance. And so he's going to meet these men. When he meets the the first couple brothers, they're actually going to be fishing. Now, in the ancient world, when you'd fish, most of your fishing would be done at night. The fish cannot see the nets. Uh, so during the day, you wouldn't fish as much. But uh, if you did fish, you'd often fish from shore. And uh, the way you'd fish is you'd have these big, wide, circular nets that could be cast out by a single fisherman. They would have uh, heavy weights on the external of this round net edges. 
And so what would happen if you could get good at this? It took a lot of practice, but you would, you would, you would, you'd kind of shout, you'd go wade out as far as you could go, you know, like you're like hip wader type things. And now you're going to, you're going to cast this net as far as you can. And if you do it right, it's going to spread out in midair, kind of like a parachute. The weight's at the edge. You're going to pull it down first when it hits the water. It's, it's going to go down first. And it's going to create this parachute net type effect uh, as it goes under. And so fish are on there, and they're going to get caught in that net. The weights are going to hold them down under this net. And you, you, you dive down, and you get them out. So two of the guys are fishing. The other two guys are going to be sitting in a boat with their father. We're going to see that these are not poor men. They're going to have hired help on the boat, so they've got a commercial fishing business going. And in both cases, Jesus is going to call them to follow him. Now, I want you to understand what that means. It would appear that what's happening here is Jesus is actually calling them to come under his leadership in their life as their rabbi. You see, in that day when rabbis would teach, you would have people that would approach the rabbi and they would basically apply to be one of their disciples, to learn from them. Um, it was much like going to college or something. You have to apply for this. Typically, rabbis, didn't, they didn't recruit people. It was an honor. You had to apply. You had to go. You had to go through a test. You had to prove that you had the right stuff, that you'd done your studies, that you, you, had, you showed promise as a student, and then you would, you would come under the rabbi. When you came under the rabbi, they had a phrase for this. They, they, the phrase was, you would take his yoke upon you. Okay? When you came under a rabbi, you would take his yoke upon you. Uh, you would study under him. And your goal in life was to become as much like the rabbi as you could as fast as possible. So it's not just like a mental go to college, learn some mental facts. It was really about learning a way of life, coming under his leadership, being his disciple, they were called, being his student, being their apprentice to learn how to do life the way the rabbi does life. And so in this case, what's going to be interesting, different, is that Jesus is not going, these men are not going to come to Jesus. Jesus is going to go to them. He's going to recruit them. And and so what's interesting is that um, we learn from the Gospel of John that these men actually knew Jesus before this encounter that we're about to read. We're told in the Gospel of John that after Jesus was, uh, was, was baptized, went in the wilderness, apparently he didn't go straight up to Galilee. That what he did is he, t- he spent some time down with John the Baptist again, uh, that he uh, went to Jerusalem during that time. He, uh, he met these first four men for the first time. They, they shared meals together. They had traveled together. They had watched him do miracles. One of his miracles, we turned water into wine at Cana. He had healed the nobleman's son during this time. And so over the previous two months, they've got to know Jesus, okay? But here's what I want you to catch. They weren't yet followers of Jesus. They just knew Jesus. Are you with me? So, so they... They, they had listened to Jesus teach, they traveled, they had meals, they liked Jesus, they would vote for Jesus, they were fans of Jesus. But they were not yet Jesus followers. And there's a difference. You know, in our country today, there's a lot of people who I believe believe they are part of the kingdom of God because they like Jesus They like listening to Jesus. They like reading Jesus' book. They like hanging out with Jesus' people. They'd vote for Jesus. But they've not yet followed Jesus. And so today, we're going to learn about what does it look like to become part of the kingdom? What does it look like to become a Jesus follower? What does it look like to come under his leadership as our rabbi? And what's going to happen is it's going to be a radical change in their life. This day is going to change your life forever. Because what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to come to their life. Remember, they know him. They've had experience. But this day, he's asking them to step out of the crowd and into his circle. This day, he's saying, it's time for you to leave your past behind and to follow me. And so this day, they're going to make a decision that's going to change the destiny of their lives. And so... Here we go. In verse uh, 16, as Jesus walked along the 13 by 9 Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Um, Jesus gives him a new nickname. 
His nickname is Peter. Jesus was big on nicknames. So he called Simon Peter. Peter means rock. You might think in terms of rocky. Um, He's going to call later on James and John. He calls them sons of thunder. I don't even know what that's about. But I would love that nickname. This Mike, JD, they're sons of thunder. Like, I just like it. It's just like, that's a cool name. I don't know what it means, but it's so cool. Um, so he comes along. He sees Simon, Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They're casting this net into the lake. We've talked about that. For they were fishermen. And he says, come and follow me. Come under my leadership. Let me be your rabbi. And he said, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He says, in other words, hey, right, right now you're fishing for fish. I, I've got something planned for your life. And if you'll trust me, I will make something of your life. And men and women, this is what Jesus promises to everyone who'll follow him. Jesus walks into our life in the middle of our work day. Kind of picture this for them. This is the middle of their work day. Picture, you know, you've been coming to church for six months. You like what you hear. Uh, you like hanging out. Uh, you like singing the songs. Uh, you're kind of, you're at a point, you're kind of positive. And all of a sudden, one day Jesus walks in and you're a third grade teacher. He walks in the middle of your class. Uh, you're running a bulldozer out on a site and he comes and, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Uh, you are an attorney. You're, uh, you're filling out someone's estate. He's like, knock, knock, excuse me. Uh, that he walks in the middle of your day and he says, uh, will you come and follow me? Will you drop everything? Will you leave your career? And, and there's something about Jesus and what they've seen of him over the last few months that they find so compelling that they feel like to not do this would be the biggest mistake of my life. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of scary leaving my career. But, but this is, I, I know I, I need to do this. And so that's what happens. He walks in their life and he makes them a promise. And he makes this promise to every person he comes into. He says, trust me and I will make something of your life. Okay? I will make something of your life. And so he comes and he says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And at once they, they left their nets. They followed him. And so in verse 19, they got a little farther. He, he meets the next set of brothers, James, son of Zebedee, their brother John. They're in a boat. They're preparing their nets. So since you'd fish at night, you'd prepare your nets during the day, repair them. And without delay, he calls them, and they left their father, Zebedee. And so, so now we have a new dimension that to follow Jesus for their life not only meant leaving their careers behind and trusting God to somehow provide for their families, it also meant, in their case, leaving their families because Jesus was on the move, and if they're going to get to know Jesus and learn from Jesus, they're going to have to travel. So in their case, it meant actually leaving their families for weeks, maybe months on, on end at times. It was a sacrifice. And so, but they left their father Zebedee in the, in the boat with his mouth open uh, with the hired men, and he followed him. I just added that. Uh, okay, so six quick verses, um, but they pack a punch because what, what they're doing is in this short six verses, uh, Mark is introducing Jesus, launching his mission, uh, announcing his message, and starting his movement. Okay, six short verses. So here's what we've got. There in your note sheet, you have a section. It's called the kingdom of God. The message and the movement. And what I want to do is just kind of two, big, two principles today that are going to be important for us as we learn how to follow Christ in our lives. Now, this first one, I've got to tell you, I've got to warn you, it's a little academic, all right? A little bit academic. But hang with me because, honestly, if we don't understand what the message of Jesus would have, would have sounded like when we were there and when he said it, we'll miss so much later on. So we, we've got to kind of get back in time. We have, to hear, we, we have to hear this message of Jesus about the kingdom of God. We, we can't hear it like 21st century uh, spiritual people uh, kind of interpreting it. We have to go back in time. How would have they heard it, all right? So here we go. So here we go. The first one is the gospel uh, is all about the kingdom. This first one is that I want you to understand this. The core message of Jesus is this good news that the kingdom of God is near. And, and this is going to be the message all the way through the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, that this kingdom of God, this long prophesied 
kingdom of God, where, where God would break into human history. Yahweh would come. Messiah would come. He would destroy Israel's enemies, that all wrongs would be turned to right, that uh, God would pour out his spirit uh, on his people in a new way, that there would be a new heavens and a new earth, that this golden age. Uh, what Jesus is saying is that the good news is that all that was promised back there, it's about to break loose. Okay, That's the message. The gospel, we often use the word gospel in terms of kind of a salvation, plan of salvation. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's kind of uh, uh, the gospel in the Bible is much bigger than that. All right? So the gospel, Jesus says, the euangelion is that God is on the move. He's breaking into human history. All these promises about the kingdom are about to come true. Okay? So, so that's his message. Now, uh, of course, this is what uh, most Jews at the time of Jesus were hoping for. For the last hundred years, they'd been under the Rome, uh, under the foreign domination of Rome. What they're praying for all the time, what they're talking about in their synagogues, is the coming of Messiah, uh, the coming of this great king. Now, I want, I want to be clear in this. At the time of first century Judaism, when Jesus comes along, there was not a monolithic uh, one opinion of what the Messiah would be. Much like today, if you talk with people at the second coming, there'll be many different opinions about how that's going to work out. Same with the, uh, the first coming. There was many different opinions about who Messiah would be, what he would be like, and so on. But the most common opinion was the opinion that he would be the great king, that he would come from the, the line of David who would usher in this golden age. That was, the, that was the predominant point of view. If you turned on Oprah and she had guests on the coming of Messiah, that's what you'd hear. If you went into Starbucks, uh, that would be the discussion. That was the word on the street. And to give you a feel for this, I, I want to actually read to you from a document that was written about 100 years before Jesus, but was very popular at the time of Jesus. It's the type of thing to be read in the synagogue or, or, or talked about. And it's from a document. It's called the Psalms of Solomon. Now, it's not a biblical book. It's an extra biblical book. Uh, it kind of sounds like Bible when you read it, but it's kind of extra biblical. And sometimes authors in ancient times, when they wanted to get a bestseller, they would pretend that their book was written by someone famous from the past. So it's called Psalms of Solomon. It really has nothing to do with Solomon. It's just religious literature at the time. But it gives you a feel for this was what was the man on the street was expecting, for the most part, when Messiah came. And so there in your note sheet, you have this long quote. And, and let's just read through it quickly, because I want to take you back in time. And I want you, like, if you're there, and Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God is at hand, what would you have heard? What would you have heard? Well, I promise you, what you would have heard is very different than what we hear today when we read that phrase. Okay? So here we go. So here, it's actually a prayer, and it goes like this. O Lord, raise up their king, the son of whom? David. Son of David. Okay, so this is the Messiah figure. That he may reign over Israel, thy servant Gird him with strength that he may shatter unrighteous rulers. Remember, this was written uh, right after Rome took over, right after Rome conquered them in 63 B.C. This is when it was written that, in that time period. That he may purge Jerusalem from nations that trample her to destruction. Wisely, righteously, he shall thrust out sinners from the inheritance. Sinners from the nation of Israel. He shall destroy the pride of the sinner as a potter's vessel. And with the rod of iron, he shall break in pieces all their substance. He shall destroy the godless nation with the word of his mouth. And at his rebuke, nations shall fall before him. He shall reprove sinners for the thoughts of their heart. He shall gather together a holy people whom he shall lead in righteousness. And he will judge the tribes of the people that have been sanctified by the Lord his God." And he will not allow unrighteousness to lodge any more in their midst, nor shall there dwell with them any man who knows wickedness, for he shall know them, that they are all sons of their God. Okay? So this was, if you're in Israel at the time, this is the type of uh, discussion you're having at your Starbucks, on Oprah, whatever. This is the common understanding. This Messiah is going to come, and he's going to do two things. He's going to destroy our enemies, and it's going to be a time of spiritual renewal for, for the nation. Okay? Now, now once you get that, you get there, you get, if you can get there emotionally, now I want you to, 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 how, to hear what they would have heard when Jesus comes 
And he comes on the scene, and this is his announcement. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. See, what they would have heard is not just a spiritual announcement. They would have heard a political announcement. They would have heard a declaration of independence. They would have heard a war cry. The kingdom of God is breaking into time and space. This kingdom that's been promised, it's coming. That's what they would have heard. In fact, you know, we've talked about John the Baptist. We'll talk about it more later on uh, in this series. But, you know, when John came, his message was the same message that Jesus brought. And his message was this, the kingdom of God is near. And we're told by the secular historian uh, Josephus, we're told that the reason John was arrested was because he was gathering such a large following and was so popular, and his message was about the coming of a kingdom, which is a political kingdom, right? His message about this kingdom, that that's why Herod, King Herod, arrested him because he was afraid of a major political and military rebellion. And that's why he was arrested. And so when Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is here, what people would have heard is that this kingdom of David is breaking into time and space. It's a declaration of uh, independence. And we'll see this all through the gospel of Mark uh, and Jesus' life where they often want to come and make him king because that's their understanding of the kingdom. What we'll learn, though, is that not so much that they were wrong, it's just that their timing was wrong. That what we'll learn as, we'll, as we go through Mark is that Jesus will begin to explain that there is a, what he calls a mystery or a secret to the kingdom. Something that was not revealed to the prophets in ancient times about the coming of the kingdom. And we get to chapter 4, he will tell several short stories, we call them parables, where he talks about the, quote, the mystery, the secret of the kingdom. And one of those secrets, he says, the kingdom is not going to come in power and in glory like that right now. The kingdom's going to come like a small seed, like a mustard seed. It's going to be planted in the earth, and it's slowly going to grow until it becomes this massive bush. And so he's beginning to help them understand that the kingdom is coming. All those promises will be fulfilled, but, but it's going to come in a different method. It's kind of a two-stage kingdom. Of course, now we know that, that the, the second stage, when all wrong is turned to right, is when Jesus is going to come back. In the meantime, we're part of his kingdom. We're part of that force for good. But it, it's not going to come in fullness until he comes back, all right? And so this kingdom, what I want you to catch is that this core message of Jesus, we're going to see it over and it, it's about the coming of the kingdom. And what does it mean? to be a part of the kingdom. And so this is the question then. The question is, for you or for me, how does a person become a part of the kingdom of God today? That's the question. And, and the answer Jesus would give us in point number two, and it has to do with our relationship with the king. And so here we go. Second, the second point goes like this. That the call of the kingdom, notice when Jesus calls us to join his kingdom, the call of the kingdom is three words. It's to turn, to trust, and to follow. What does it mean to enter the kingdom? How does a person enter the kingdom of God? Well, you turn, you trust, and you follow. So let me flesh it out. Jesus says in Mark 1.15, there in your note sheet, he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, and he says we have to do two things to enter the kingdom. What are they? Repent and believe. Can we say it again? What's the first one? Repent and believe. Now, let me ask you. Do you think it would be okay to do just one of those things? How many think that, yeah, to enter the kingdom, just one out of two is pretty good? Yeah, 50%, you know, it would work in baseball. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, there's two things. Repent and believe. So let's talk about that. What does it mean to repent and believe? Uh, we talked about the word repent a few weeks ago, John the Baptist. I won't spend a lot of time there. But remember what we learned. To repent means literally in the Greek to change the way we think. So I, I'm thinking about life this way. Now I'm going to change and think about that way. And it, it, it's closely related to the idea of turning, like I'm changing directions. I'm, I'm headed this way in my life, and now I'm going to turn around and head that way. I used to think like this, now I think like that. 
And in context of spiritual life, to repent means I used to run my own life. I used to be my own king. To repent means I recognize there is a true king and I come under his leadership and that's how you become part of a kingdom by coming under the rule of the king, okay? So to repent means to come under the rule of the king. Um, But then there's a second word, to believe. And this is an important word. (laughs) Oh, man. Every time that happens, I'm like, I'm so glad it's not me. Um, Okay, to... Okay, to believe, right? Now, we use the word believe in a wide variety of ways. Like in James, it says even the demons believe and they shudder, right? But they're not part of the kingdom, right? So we use the word believe in a lot of ways. So so James says faith without works is dead. So here's what I want you to catch. When the Bible talks about believing, it's not just talking about believing in some sort of mental sense. I believe this is true as opposed to false. A better word to actually describe what the Bible means by believing is the word trust. So the word in Greek, pistuo, can be translated believe, trust, follow. It's all in the same, it's all in the same ballpark. To, to believe in the Bible is to trust in such a way that you act. Okay? So if you don't, if you don't trust, then you don't really believe. Uh, you say you believe something, but you don't act on it. You don't really believe it until you act on it. That's, that's a biblical concept. Okay, and so, so here's what Jesus says. Hey, the kingdom is here. You need to repent, which means to turn, come under my leadership, and you need to believe me for what I'm telling you. You need to trust me. And both of those things lead to follow. When you repent, when you turn, and when you trust, the end result is that you follow. So how do you know if a person has entered the kingdom of God? Well, the best way to find out is are they following that is Jesus their rabbi? Have they come under his yoke? Two verses I want to throw out to you that you can check out later. They're not on your note sheet. But the first one is Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. The second one is Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. And, and, and they both talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so in, in Luke chapter 6, it goes like this. Jesus said a student, and uh, in the Greek it actually says a disciple. It's the normal word for disciple. A student, a disciple, apprentice, a follower, they're all kind of synonyms within the rabbinic world type of thing. So he says uh, a disciple is not better than his teacher. In other words, the the student's not smarter than his rabbi. If he was, he'd be the rabbi. He says, "But, but when he's fully trained... He will be like his teacher. And so this is what we often say here. The whole goal of following Jesus is to become like him in his attitudes, his actions, his perspectives, his values, his choices. So see, to be a Christian is not just to like believe a certain set of facts. It's to come under the leadership of Jesus as our teacher. We come under, he's our rabbi, and we're going to learn now how to do life. We're going to come under his leadership. We're going to learn how to follow him. The second verse is in Matthew chapter 11. This is a more famous verse. I mean, you've heard this one before, many of you. It goes like this. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down. And he said, and learn from me. So take my yoke upon you, the rabbi, take my yoke upon me, on you, and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls, for my burden is easy, it's light. So unlike the religious rabbis who are putting all these weights on you, all this religious stuff, just come unto me, let let me be your rabbi, learn from me, and you'll find rest for your souls. So, So both of those help us to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That to be a follower of Jesus means we repent, we turn, it means we trust, it means we follow, not perfectly. And this is why when you read the Gospels, you're so encouraged because there's no question Today, as we see these men drop their nets and follow Jesus, this is the high point of the story. It's all going to go downhill from here on. What we're going to find is they're not very bright. They're not very quick. They don't have a lot of faith. They're going to mess up all the time. They're very selfish. They're very self-absorbed. Anyone can relate yet, right? Okay. But they're followers of Jesus, 
they're, they're following and they're being transformed. He's got a plan. He's going to make them into something, right? So when I, when I talk about coming under his leadership, I don't mean we're perfect by any means. That means we've, we've, we've come under his leadership in our lives. And so this is what you see in these men today. They, Mark shares with us they're a model of what it looks like to follow Jesus. They're, they're just fishermen, uh, but they're learning how to follow Jesus, and they become a model. And so what we see is that as, as Jesus comes, uh, they, they've known Jesus for a long time, several months. They've heard him teach. They love his teaching. Uh, they would vote for him. They're all good with that. But today is the day that they have to decide if they're going to follow. And they're going to step over that invisible line from being people who like Jesus to be people who follow Jesus. And so today he walks in their right, and, and they decide we're going to follow. And it cost them something, didn't it? They, they had to leave their careers uh, they had to leave their families for extended periods of time. And here's what I want you to catch. That if you're going to follow Jesus, there is always going to be a price. Okay? Now, your price may not be their price. Your price, you probably won't have to lead your career. Some of you may be involved in something that's immoral or wrong, and you will have to leave your career. But, but most of us won't have to leave our careers. Most of us won't have to leave our families. Some of you wish you could leave your families. Like, you love, mother-in-law, I love you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's just, I just have to be faithful. I'd love to stay. Um, but for us, it probably won't be those things. But mark my words. If you follow Jesus, there will be things to leave. And they will be costly. Because here's the thing. Jesus can't give you your new life if you're not willing to let go of your old life. And, and too many times we try to hold on to our nets and follow Jesus into our new life, dragging them behind us. And it doesn't work. And this is true when we first come to Jesus. Like some of you here today, you may be coming to Rocky Peak for a while You've heard the message of Jesus. You like Jesus. You like what you're learning. It's helpful in your personal life. You feel like you're getting closer to God, just like they did in the early days. And that's all excellent because that's all part of the lead up to Jesus' call in your life. But eventually, Jesus is going to come and he's going to ask you to leave your nets. He's going to ask you to repent. He's going to ask you to turn from your old life, let go, and trust him and follow him for your new life. And for some of you today, today's your day. For some of you today, you're going to enter the kingdom of God today. I'm going to pray about that later. But for many of us here, we're Christ followers, or we'd self-proclaim Christ followers. But the reality is, is that we're trying to follow Jesus, but we're still holding on to our old nets. And here's what I want you to catch. This letting go of nets is not something we do once in our life. It's something we do to start our journey, but, but letting go of nets is something that becomes kind of routine for the Christ follower. Because Jesus, as our rabbi, is always going to be coming to our life, and at, at the right time, he's going to put his arm around us, and he's going to say, Mike, that's a net you need to let go. That attitude, that, that action, um, that perspective, that value, that relationship, that sin, whatever it is, there's going to be times that I know as I walk with Jesus, as we walk through life, he's going to put his arm around me and he's going to say, son, it's time to let go of that net. And here's the thing. Often when we first come to Jesus, for whatever reason, we understand this and we let go of the nets and we start growing like crazy. But it's easy as we go along with Jesus somehow to get double-minded to we try to follow Jesus and still hold on to our nets. And when we do that, what happens is as time goes on, we get further and further behind because it's just too heavy. Like we can't hold on to our old life and keep following the new life. So what happens is Jesus starts getting further and further ahead. And it's getting harder and harder for us to hear his voice. It's getting harder and harder to sense his presence. Pretty soon Jesus is just like, he's a speck out there. I'm still following, he's so far away, it's kind of hard to see it. And so when that happens, here's what happens. We go to our life group, 
And if, I, if we were to share, hey, what is Jesus doing in your life this year? What are some nets he's asked you to let go of this year? That honestly, for many of us, we have to go back to five years ago. We have to go back to 10 years ago. For some of us, it's 30 years ago and 40 years. We want to go back to the glory years when we first met Jesus and we first let go of some nets. He was doing these amazing things in our life. And that's the story that we have to tell. We want to tell a story of an old relationship. See, as followers of Jesus, we should always have new nets. Every year, there's going to be new nets. Hey, this is something he's doing in my life. He's letting it, because it's destructive, because it's damaging, because it's hurting us, it's hurting others, or because it's a distraction from the kingdom. And he's come. And as we let go, guess what? We catch up with him, we walk with him, we hear his voice, we're transformed by him, we're used by him. And so the question I have today for all of us is that, what are you holding in your hand? Are there any nets in your life right now that Jesus is asking you, you need to let go? For some of you, it's like, absolutely not. There's nothing. You're in great shape. You're walking with Jesus, and, and you've, been, you've been letting go of your nets, and you're in perfect shape. You're, you're right where you need to be, and that's awesome. That's how it should be most of the time in our life. But for some of us here, even as I'm talking, you're, you're going to know. You're going to know. Here's the net. Here's the net he's asking me to let go of. And, and let me tell you this. Jesus has a plan for your life. He wants to make something special. But in order to receive your new life, you have to let go of the old life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this chance to step back and reflect on what it means to be a follower Lord, today, truly as a church, we want to be people who turn and trust and follow. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've been in the crowd, you like him, you've been hanging out, you've been learning from him, but there is a hunger in your heart for something more. You truly want to know Jesus. You want to travel with him. You want to be part of his kingdom. You want to be forgiven. You want to receive the gift of his spirit in your life. I'm going to ask you today to to call out to Jesus. I'm going to ask you today to join me. I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. And if it expresses the desire of your heart, I'd ask you just to pray and to pray it under your breath or in your mind, your heart. He will hear you and you give your life to him and you drop your nets right here and you, and you follow him. And so let's pray. Dear Jesus, I want to drop my nets today. I want to turn from my old life Come under your leadership. Trust you for my new life. I ask you to forgive me of my rebellion and sin against you. I ask you to give me the gift of new life. I ask you for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of your spirit. And I ask you to bring me into your kingdom, not just for this life, but for the next life. And while our, heads are our, our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that, first of all, I want to welcome you into the kingdom. And, and secondly, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor that at the end of the service, we're going to take our offering. And inside that offering, uh, inside your program, is a little connect card. I ask you to fill that out. And on the back, say, Mike, I prayed the prayer, or I asked Jesus into my life, or however you want to put it. And we'll know exactly what you mean. And we'll send you a letter this week from me just with some steps to your new walk with Jesus. We'll talk about them, baptism, and, and just some new steps. And so uh, we'll, we'll do that. And then for those of you who are here that you're Christ's followers, and as I've been talking, you know that there's nets you're holding on to. It's a relationship. It's a habit. It's a money thing. It's a priority. It's a, a call in your life to join him in ministry in some way, and, and you've been resisting. It's whatever it is. It's uh, Maybe it's a a sin, I don't know what it is, but, but as I've been talking, that the Holy Spirit's been talking to you and Jesus has been talking. He's calling you to leave your net, to drop your net and to travel with him again and, and to see what he'll do in your life. I just want to encourage you in, in the quiet of this moment that you would drop your net and you would immediately follow him and watch what he does. And as we worship and as we pray, may God minister to you and, and teach you to trust him 
at a whole new level that releases the power of the kingdom in your life. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, this weekend, we have the privilege of baptizing 22 people that are dropping their nets, and they are turning trusting. Isn't that awesome? Now, uh, as if you need any reminders, uh, baptisms are celebrations, right? They are, we're said that we're told in the Bible that when one sinner repents, that the angels throw a party. And so we should feel free to join in on that party. Amen? And so we are going to, to uh, go into some worship. Right? Actually, the band's going to be singing a song for us. Right? I just let it wash over you. If you're here today and uh, you're getting baptized, make your way down to the pool uh, right now. If you're here today and you're a brand new Christ follower, you just prayed that prayer, uh, or God's been talking to you for a long time about following in baptism, and you understand what it's about, giving your life to Christ, you understand the gospel, and you want to get baptized today, uh, you're here in your clothes, that's fine, just come on down. We'll, we'll baptize you as well, all right? Well, I hope you can be with us uh, next week as we continue this journey. Uh, next week, I, I love the passage. Uh, Mark, we, Jesus is actually launching his real ministry now. He's not just announced it. He's not just recruited some followers, but we're going to see him actually begin to move out and see the kingdom of God begin to get unleashed with power and what Mark does is he gives us a day in the life of Jesus. Like here's just like a day. Uh, here's like a, a, what an average typical day was uh, traveling with Jesus. And it's going to be amazing a day as you can imagine. But we're going to see the kingdom of God as prophesied in the Old Testament. We're, we're going to see the, the healing powers of God coming back to his creation uh, through the coming of Messiah. And so it's going to be a great, great weekend. And I uh, hope you can join it. Until then, uh, may this be a week where you stay close with your rabbi. May you come under his leadership. May you truly be a disciple to live your life as he lives his. Uh, may you be quick to drop your nets when he calls, that you might walk closely with him and experience the new life he's called you to, uh, to live, that he would make something beautiful out of your life. Amen? Amen? God bless you guys. See ya. <laughs>